Hello, Internet, and welcome to this episode of the Geeks Grading Geekdom Show podcast thing. I am Wes Yehola, and every week I can talk about something in the wide world of geekdom and give it a grade. And that means movies, it means books, comics, TV, or whatever else I put my attention on. And I try to do it without dropping any spoilers, just in case you haven't seen the thing or read the thing or what have you. This week, it's TV. We're going a few hundred years in the future to look at the Star Trek Strange New Worlds show. Episode 1 of Season 2 was released this past Thursday, presuming you're hearing this before the 23rd of June. If you're unfamiliar, Star Trek Strange New Worlds is a prequel series to the original Star Trek TV show of the 1960s. In that series, James T. Kirk was the third captain of the Starship Enterprise. First one was Robert April, who was promoted out of the captain's chair. He was followed by Christopher Pike, who's called who's the captain of the enterprise in this series which is set about a decade or so uh, before the first one objectively there are two things strange new worlds has that the original never did one is a better budget and the other is better production values. Understand, I'm not slamming the work of the Texan engineers who worked on the original back in the 60s. They did great with what they had, which just wasn't all that much. And these days, we've got so much more. And the show has the budget to use those so much more things. And this shows. The look of the show is just great. And one thing I personally love and one thing that I think appeals to fans of the original series is how much the producers put into making this show visually resemble the original. The show Star Trek Discovery, also a prequel of the original series and Strange New World, so far as that goes, looked very very different from the original series. And while it was a cool look in and of itself, for the most part, it was so different and so just advanced looking just to see it. It looked like it ought to be taking place somewhere between the original series and Next Generation, or you know, maybe even post-Next Generation and all the series since. Throw in the show's mushroom teleport drive, and yeah, it really feels more advanced than Picard. And yeah, there's canon reasons why that drive didn't work out, but even so, it made the show to me feel like it didn't fit as something happening before the original series. My disbelief just could not be sufficiently suspended to get away from that. And sure, like I said, we have more to work with television production-wise these days, so why shouldn't the show have taken full advantage of all those things? I get it. It's just what I'm saying is the end result didn't accomplish for me something the producers wanted to accomplish, namely selling me on when this show took place. Now, Star Trek Strange New Worlds demonstrates from the get-go that utilizing all the latest production techniques can still make a show that captures the general look and feel of a show made in the 60s. It's just got that kind of flair. It would be easy to nitpick the differences, but a, a couple of things that, that are the same. The uniforms in Strange New Worlds, they have the same look. They're updated to something that makes sense to modern audiences, but they're the same basic colored shirt with an insignia and black pants. The controls, we have a lot of touchscreens, but there's plenty of buttons and knobs and mechanical-looking bits that get on screen from time to time, just like in the original series. And of course, there's the simple fact that we get to see the USS Enterprise. And this is the USS Enterprise of Captain Christopher Pike. 
Like I said, he is the second captain of that ship, unless you're getting real, real nitpicky about the lore and temporary captains and so forth. But Christopher Pike has been a Star Trek character from basically the beginning, since longer than Kirk. In the show's famous first of two television pilots, he was the man in the chair. Actor Jeffrey Hunter portrayed him and opted not to return for the second pilot. And by the way, speaking of that, a quick shout-out of thanks to Lucille Ball for pushing Desilu to even make a second pilot after the first one tank. That was just unheard of. Without Lucy, there would be just no Star Trek at all, and that means there wouldn't be a lot of other things, too, so... Thanks, Lucy. Anyway, back to topic. During its first run, Star Trek made use of the first pilot with a two-parter semi-flashback story that covered what happened in it. This was because Christopher Pike, promoted to fleet captain sometime back, had been in a horrible accident that left him disfigured, locked in a ruined body, and only able to communicate by flashing buzzers that let him say yes or no. In Strange New Worlds, this is the fate that Pike has foreseen in a ceremony that happened just before the series started. So the producers and writers, instead of being trapped by the lore or just ignoring it, used it. They made Pike, knowing his fate, an integral part of this character of his. And he knows when and where this accident happens, and he knows the names of the people that he saves. In a really smart move, the producers set this event to happen 10 years in the future, which leaves us with plenty of seasons of strange new worlds to enjoy. And there is lots to enjoy. In general, this show is taking a different approach from most streaming shows these days, especially science fiction. It's a throwback to how TV used to be. Episodic. In short, uh, every episode of the series is generally complete. Each is a story with a beginning, a middle, and an end. And this is how TV shows used to be, kids. This and longer seasons, sometimes a lot longer seasons, were uh, hallmarks of what to expect. They, they were basic assumptions. To do a series that was an overarching story spread across multiple episodes was a special thing. They called it a miniseries because, unlike regular series, they were limited to only so many episodes. The, the Roots, Shogun, Western Dove, or Lonesome Dove, those were some of the early ones from the 70s. And this isn't to say there's not some ongoing threads throughout the first season of Strange New Worlds. There are. And it ended on a cliffhanger in the first season. But the point of episodic television is that you can jump into a series with basically any episode and not find yourself lost. On-demand television, of course, has rendered that pretty much moot, since we can watch a series from the start whenever we want. That's part of the reason the long-form television story broken up into episodes that are more like chapters has become so big. I get it, and I am not complaining about it. I'm really not, because some of the shows I've seen that are like that are just spectacular. But it does make Star Trek Strange New Worlds something different and special in a landscape filled with ripoffs and derivatives. And yes, I... I know how that sounds since this is ultimately one more Star Trek TV show out of, what, nine or ten now? But anyway, so keeping with the lore, Strange New Worlds has two bridge officers we saw in the original pilot titled The Cage. Those are number one, the first officer. This character didn't make it into the second pilot or of the original series due in a large part to TV executives at NBC believing that 
a woman being second in command of a starship would just be too much for people to accept. The starship? Sure. Warp drive? Okay. An alien? Eh, okay, maybe. But a woman in second in command? No. And you know, given the times, they actually had a point, as Gene Roddenberry himself has said, he's told the story about showing that pilot to a test audience of women in the late mid-late 60s. And the, the reaction of these women was, as he tells it, they asked, who does she think she is? So it, it was the times, all right? This was just one year after Betty Friedman's The Female Mystique had been published. So keep that in mind and look back on how early Star Trek was done with a little bit of understanding of the context and some mercy. So number one got dumped, but she's back and actually has a real name now, Una Chin Riley. She's portrayed by Rebecca Romaine, yes, Mystique from the first X-Men movies, and she's depicted as everything I imagine Roddenberry wanted this character to be. She is personally strong, she is intelligent, she is resourceful, she is decisive. She also has a secret, which we'll kind of allude to a little bit more later on. The other character from the Cage pilot we get to see, that's not Pike or number one, is the one and only Spock. And he's all the Spock. Spock that we've grown to know and love over the past many decades, no matter who was playing him. In this way, he's different from how he was actually portrayed in the cage. We saw him smile and laugh, clearly enjoying feeling up those weird little plants on Talos IV. All the dispassion and logic that we got to know to be part of Spock's character was actually originally part of number one's character and then got transferred to Spock, who just owned it and spectacular. Here also, we see the advantage of having years of established lore to work with. Fans of the original show have seen the episode A Mock Time. That's the one where Spock is burning with hormones and has to get back to Vulcan and mate. In that episode, we meet the wife, never before mentioned in that series, because the writers had just made her up whole cloth for that episode. And then I think after that episode, we never hear from or about her again. I might be wrong. I don't think so. And at least in the TVs and movies, uh, I don't know. Uh, but Strange New Worlds grabbed a hold of the wife, Tapring, and turned her into a regular supporting character. And while she is certainly a good character in her own right, she's got her own career, she's got her own Vulcanness, her own family, and she's got her own thing going on. She is just great by herself, but her being a big, if mostly distant, part of Spock's life adds a wonderful new dimension and depth to him. When the series starts, we also get two other characters from the original series that weren't in the first pilot. That is Uhura and Chapel. Uhura was a lieutenant in the original series. Here, about a decade earlier, she is a cadet who's not even sure she wants to make a career out of Starfleet. Spoilers, she does. And while the character, as portrayed by the late Nichelle Nichols, was good and a television groundbreaker in more ways than one, the writers never did much to let us, the audience, know much of anything about her. She was good at her job. She could sing. In the reboot movie, she was a linguistics genius in a relationship with Spock. 
In one particular episode of Strange New Worlds, though, we get more background on Uhuru than I think we did in 50 years of previous Star Trek television. It's wonderful. And yeah, maybe some of the hundreds of official Star Trek books gave her a character background, but I'm talking strictly TVs and movies at this point. Uh, Chapel was all over the original series as a nurse. She, in fact, was played by the same actor who played number one in the pilot that got rejected. And after number one got booted, NBC let Roddenberry hire her in a more conventionally female role for the times. That's why she's a nurse. And while she was good at her job, the original series Trek Nurse Chapel is mostly remembered for being lovesick over Spock. She did become a doctor by the time of the motion picture in 79, but uh, there we go. In Strange New Worlds, we get Chapel, who is thankfully a little more developed. Frankly, not a whole lot more, but she is more confident, she's funnier, and more resourceful as a character than the original Chapel ever was. And she also is written as having more depth than we're actually shown. So I am hopeful that in season two, we get to learn more about her. And in fact, I'm going to mention something about that again later on. So there's two other characters from the original series that pop up, and they're both named Kirk. One is James T., who's most featured in the last episode of season one. The other, more prominent, is his older brother, Sam, who was introduced as being a person that exists on the original series episode Operation Annihilate, the very same episode in which he died. So <laughs> there's that. He's gotten more screen time now on this than he ever did, uh, ever. And, of course, there's new characters. There's Leon Noonien Singh, the Enterprise's newly assigned chief of security, and, yes, her name is the same as Khan's. That opens a door to how the Federation feels about genetic engineering, which is an ongoing plot point through the series, season one, and into season two. She is also our doorway into the Gorn, who are really well done without messing up the lore. We get Erica Ortega. She's the Enterprise's helmsman who fits the bill for a crazy pilot without being over the top. And I think she is my favorite new character, and I want to know what happens to her. Basically, I'm going to want her full biography before this is all done. She is just great. We get Joseph Mabinga. He is the Enterprise's chief medical officer, and he's got a secret of his own. We learn what it is kind of early, and then the whole thing about it gets resolved in a season one episode that is kind of a tearjerker, but also really fun and a solid example of how episodic television can do some things that series that aren't episodic just can't. I'm wondering how long his contract is for this show. Not because I don't like him. Not at all. He's a great character. He had the best side story of the bunch other than Pike in this first se season. But in the first pilot, The Cage, the chief medical officer was a man named Philip Boyce. He was booted for McCoy, who actually didn't show up right away in the original series. But I'm wondering if they're working with that since it is part of the lore. Well, we'll find out eventually, I guess. There's still a lot of time. And we have Hemmer, the chief engineer of the USS Enterprise in season one. Hemmer is an anar, which is an albino subspecies of the Andorians. Those are the ones with the antenna. And they're generally depicted as blind. And the actor playing Hemmer is blind in one eye with limited sight in the other and is the first legally blind regular actor in a Star Trek series. So just... Cool trivia. I didn't know that uh, when I started watching. There are 
many, many more other new characters, but those are the main ones. And together, they make a great ensemble cast. The chemistry is good throughout, and the writers and producers have given the actors a good amount of territory to stretch and explore. They've all made a show that captures the tone of the original Star Trek just great. That was my main problem with the Star Trek Discovery series, the tone wasn't right. There were other problems too, but they don't so much matter for what I'm pointing out here. So story-wise, the first season saw Robert April. He was the original captain of the Enterprise, remember? He's now an admiral. He makes a surprise visit to Pike, who is out west and ignoring phone calls as the Enterprise is being refitted. Seems there's a problem and the ship has to leave today, which forces Pike to decide if he's going to go back up there or not. And yes, spoilers, he does. Over the course of the series, because it's episodic, we get all kinds of stories. We get a first contact story, a save the primitive planet story that actually turns out to be way more than that. We get a story looking into the disappearance of an alien race. We get two horror episodes with the Gorn. We get a body switch story with a reverse shore leave secondary storyline. We get a story that's basically what is the cost of utopia. There's a fantasy story that plays up the humor. There is a pirate story. Yes. And there's an alternate future story. That's what I mean when I say that episodic television can do things non-episodic television can't. Being able to complete stories allows for big shifts in tone and style within the framework of the series. And at the end, we get a big reveal about Una that had been hinted uh, more and more about throughout the series. And that leads to the cliffhanger of her arrest. So now, season two has started. In the first episode, the cliffhanger thread is picked right up and leads Pike off screen. This leaves Spock in charge just in time to get a message from Leanne that la leads to an unauthorized mission. Yeah, Spock beat Kirk to doing a thing by a couple of decades, it turns out. Carol Kane joins the heroes, and she's got a secret of her own and is really, really good. I look forward to seeing more of her this season. At the Mission Planet, the team gets split up, and there's a nice balance of intrigue and a good a couple good fight scenes. There is a really good spy team action story here to start season two. And it resolves itself by the end using a lot of the video we saw on the series trailers. We also get some teases about the backstory of both Chapel and Mabenga. I was right. There is more to them than what we saw, and especially Chapel, and that's great to see, and I want to know more. Pike's mission isn't resolved. In fact, he doesn't appear on screen again on the first episode of season two after he departs to go do his thing for the storyline with uh, Una. So we might get more on that next week, but there is a new thread here that's being presented that looks like sort of a thing that will run on through the season. And then there's another one going on too. So there we are. That's an overview of season one of Star Trek Strange New Worlds and a look at the first episode of season two that just came out. So that makes it time for the grading. Season one of Strange New Worlds gets an A from me. There were a few things that just didn't sit well with me. I couldn't make a list right now, but one of them is that space still feels a little bit small. Way better than the reboot movies for sure by... Parsecs better, but still a little bit small. 
episode one of season two is sitting on an A plus, but I literally finished watching it five minutes ago before what writing this thing up. Time may or may not be kind of that grade. So there you go. As always, feel free to let me know how wrong or right you think I might be. The text line to do that is 901-878-9420. The email address if you have something longer to say is mail at drakehallmemphis.com. If there is any topic in the wide world of geekdom you would like for me to address in grade, please let me know that too for now. Thank you for listening. I am Wes Yahola, and I hope this was worth your valuable time. This is Drake Digital.